Lord God, we stand before you in honor of you reading these commandments that you wrote in the stone tablets with your own finger. And God, we come to honor you, to put our attention on understanding what the Tenth Commandment is really about. So, Jesus, touch us right now, God. Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word. And God, may we become better people. May we become more like you, Jesus, in our character and in how we live. So anoint this time with your spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Reading all the Ten Commandments, I thought I, I share with you, I came across this version of the Ten Commandments put into a poem style. It goes like this. Above all else, love God alone. Bow down to neither wood nor stone. God's name refuse to take in vain. The Sabbath rest with care maintain. Respect your parents all your days. Hold sacred human life always. Be loyal to your chosen mate. Steal nothing, neither small nor great. Report with truth your neighbor's deed and commandment 10. And rid your mind of selfish greed. Well, that's what the Ten Commandments is about. To rid our mind, to rid our heart of that selfish greed or covetousness. We need to fight against coveting things. And you know what? It, 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 go, it really is the old sinful flesh that wants to manifest itself in covetousness. So as we study this last com commandment this morning, believers must learn this. Believers, we must learn to curb the desire to acquire. And that's the title of our message. Curb the desire to acquire. We're going to be once again looking at Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And how are we to do that? Well, that's what we're going to learn today. And with this verse, verse 17 of Exodus 20. And there's three ways we're going to curb the desire to acquire. Number one is realize the problem. Number two is recognize the pull. And number three, revitalize the priority. So... How do we curb the desire to acquire? Well, number one is realize the problem. And that's what we're going to see, first of all, in the first part of verse 17. Realize the problem. Once again here, Exodus 20, verse 17, it begins with these four words. You shall not covet. So we begin with you, that's you and I, us who have dedicated ourselves to follow the Lord. Now remember, it's been about three months since Israel had been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. They're at the base of Mount Sinai now. Moses is meeting God up there on Mount Sinai. And God is giving these people these commandments because they're heading into the promised land. And in the promised land, they're going to establish themselves as a country, as a nation, a, a, a nation for God, a holy people. So God is giving these commandments for these people so they know how to be a people of God. So when he says you, he's speaking to Israel here in our text this morning. But you know what? For us on this side of the cross, he's speaking to us. He's speaking to us who want to follow God and be his people. So he says, you shall not. Now remember in the NLT, I've been telling you, it's not shall, but in the NLT, they, they translated must. You must 
And it's more emphatic. It's more like, yeah, guys, you guys, you must not. And then we come to this word here in verse 17, covet. What does covet mean? Well, in original language, literally, it means to pant after. It, it, it means to desire after. It means to, like, even lust after. Even though the word has this feeling of, of delighting in. That's what the feeling of the word covet is right there. That's what it means. It, it really comes down to, as we unfold this verse 2, it means to crave to have something that is not yours in a real bad way. That's covetousness. That's to covet. It also, as we'll see in this verse, it also is to have this strong desire to have something that belongs to someone else. And we're going to see that in a moment. So covetousness, or what the Lord is saying you shall not covet, is that fire of desire to acquire that's inside of us. You like my little rhymes? <laughs> I say that to help you remember what covet really is and covetousness really is. And it's inside of us. That's the problem. It's inside us. You know what's interesting? The first commandment, right? You shall have no gods before me. And this last commandment, number 10, it directly deals with the heart. It goes right to the heart. Where the other eight that we've studied the, uh, in between here, it focuses on this outward action that began in the heart. So it addresses that. But these two commandments go straight to our heart. And when we talk about covetousness, we're talking about inside of us so here's the first thing realize the problem to covet comes from inside it comes from inside you know when our oldest son was small uh, he's how old is he now 31 he's gonna be uh, when he was a small boy i remember grandma gave him a ten dollar bill as a gift oh he went crazy i mean ten dollars was big bucks for a little four-year or five-year-old boy well, we could see in him this, this, his eyes, right? He could not wait to get to the store and spend it. Our second son was more of a savior. He would pocket it. But this one, oh, he wanted to spend it. He wanted to spend, spend, spend to get, get, get. My wife, Kristen, said, that, that $10 bill is burning a hole in his pocket. And I thought, well, what a great description, right? Well, that's that fire, right? inside of us to acquire that desire to acquire that fire it, it's burning inside that we want we want now now understand money really isn't the problem biblically it says it's the love of money that's the problem it's not the money it's but it's what's inside of us that is our downfall you guys so do not allow that fire of desire to acquire to burn inside of you not even don't let it even spark anything there don't allow it to even start at all. And you know what really this speaks of? This covetousness that is inside of us, burning inside us. You know what it talks about? The problem inside really is that covetousness that comes from our sin nature. Our sinful self that's inside of us. 
Now, remember, I've been mentioning to you that the Ten Commandments we're looking at here, and we've been studying that, that God gave them for several reasons, right? And he's preparing Israel and all of that. But also we find in the New Testament, we learn that the Ten Commandments reveal to us what is right and wrong. Israel now knows, well, what does God require? What does it mean to be God's people? What's right and wrong? Well, he lays it out right here. And so we learn it reveals what sin is. I mean, without it, we don't know exactly what sin is. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll probably uh, uh, say that, well, doing some bad things, wrong things is okay. But God lets us know, well, this is what sin is. And it reveals that to us. And also, the Ten Commandments were given to restrain that sin, right? To, to say, look, you shall not, you shall not. You know, don't do this, don't do that. To restrain that sin nature from continuing to sin. And then we learn in the New Testament that the Ten Commandments were given not just for the knowledge of what's right and wrong and what sin is, but it also shows us that, you know what, we can't conquer sin. Yeah, we're, we're told not to do this, but we have a hard time not doing that. And we realize our need for a Savior. And really, God, this is part of God's plan for Israel to look to the Messiah who would one day come to save them from their sins. So we understand that the problem inside, that covetousness, is rooted in our sin nature. And the Ten Commandments help us come to that realization that, oh, we need Jesus. We need him to help us with our sin. You know, Romans chapter 7, the interesting thing is the Apostle Paul shares that it was the 10th commandment. This one we're studying right now that showed him his sin and how he was convicted. In Philippians 3, he talks about, well, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I followed the law, everything. But the one thing that really got him and showed him his need for Jesus was this commandment because he saw the covetousness inside and it made him realize that problem inside and that he needed Jesus Christ. Let me say this. I think one of the biggest problems we have as humans because of our sin nature is covetousness. It's to covet things. It's to want things. Did you know the first, the cause of the first sin in Genesis 3 was coveting? I mean, Satan easily tempted Eve way back in Genesis 3. In verse 6, right, Eve saw that forbidden fruit. You know what that means? When she saw it, she's like, whoa, yummy. That's what that means. And then it says in verse 6 that she delighted in it. That means, in other words, I want it, I want it, I want it. And then it says she desired it. In other words, she desired for that forbidden fruit to make her happy. But it did not, right? It caused sin and the consequences of sin to come upon the whole world. Her, her and Adam, right? And so now we have inherited, coming down the line all these hundreds of years or so, thousands. Now we have that sin nature. But on this side of the cross, today in Jesus, we're forgiven. We have a new life. And we can live with this new life as new creations. So 
realize the problem is covetousness, which is rooted in our sin nature. But today, Jesus solved the problem on the cross by dying on the cross and rising again. And now we, ha- we can live free from bondage to covetousness. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So realize the problem to covet, right? God has freed us from that. And so if we continue to let it go, realize the problem to covet goes against who God is making you to be. I'm trying to lead you through this whole thought here that you realize this problem that's inside you from our sin nature. Jesus has freed us from that bondage. And now in Christ, let's not let that fire of desire to acquire burn inside of us. Yeah? Because it goes against who God is making us to be. That's not you. It's a problem. It's probably the, one of the biggest problems in us, even as believers. But realize that problem to covet goes against who God is making you to be. Be serious about this. I heard about this homeowner. He put out poison around this anthill. Uh, it was an ant, these ants were terrorizing his family. They were stinging ants. And when he went back to check, he noticed this circle that he had put at the poison. You know, the ants were grabbing it, bringing it down into their colony. Well, this circle of poison, there was, there was a, uh, it was broken, the circle. And what he noticed was there's some other ants, some regular ants from another colony coming in and basically stealing this food they thought was food, thinking Uh, The homeowner was saying, thinking, these ants were probably thinking, oh, we're stealing the other ants' treasure. But little did they know they were actually poisoning themselves. Listen, that's what covetousness does. I want what I want. Going after that. It really poisons your soul. It poisons what, what Christ has done in your life and freeing you from the bondage of this. So realize the problem to covet goes against who God is making you to be. So curb the desire to acquire. Realize the problem. Let's go to number two. Recognize the pool now. Recognize the pool. We're going to look at the second part of verse 17. You shall not covet, and it goes on to say, your neighbor's house, you you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, the Lord God, to make things clear about uh, covetousness and all that, to make it clear, God lists the things that you you should not covet. Now, he says here, your neighbors. He, what he means by that, he speaks about that person next to you. Yeah, it could be your neighbor. But it, but it, it really speaks to uh, another person's stuff, the other person. So God is speaking to us. He wants us to be able to identify when covetousness is kicking in. 
He's helping us in detail to, to, to recognize when thing, covetousness from the inside is pulling on you. So in verse 17 now, God lists four things that have a pull on you. Four things here. Uh, that's what we're going to see in each of these things. They're grouped here together. And first of all, so the Lord is saying, recognize the pull of the other person's property. The pull of the other person's property. He begins here, you shall not covet what? Your neighbor's house. Your neighbor's house. What are we talking about? His home, his property, his land. I mean, to me, I thought, you know, this is typical. What we do is, isn't the grass greener on the other side mentality, right? Oh, you're not satisfied with your own. Oh, I, I like that. Oh, look at that guy's house. Look what he did. Oh, I want that. Oh, I want this. I want that. that that's the idea here. So the Lord is saying, look, recognize the pool of covetousness when you're trying, to, when you really want the other person's property. You know, 1 Kings 21, if you remember the story of King Ahab, he wanted his neighbor Naboth's vineyard, right? He coveted his vineyard. So he went to Naboth, let me have your neighbor, I mean, your vineyard. I, I, I'm the king, let me have it. And Naboth's like, no, I can't do that. I can't sell it to you. This is our family's land. We, it, it, it's part of what we've had in generations. So remember, King Ahab went back to his palace, sulked, cried, pouted, and Queen Jezebel, that evil queen, right? She, she said, well, what's wrong with you? You're king. I'll take care of it. Remember, she came up with this evil plot to uh, uh, have Naboth killed, right, with some false rumors and everything. And so Naboth was killed, and then they, King Ahab was able to Get that property. So sad. So sad. Ahab didn't even care about the person that time. Didn't care about his family. He just wanted what he wanted. And that's what covetous does. It has no morals. It makes you do evil and wicked things. That's covetousness. So recognize the pull, right, when, you, when you're looking at the other person's property. Secondly, recognize the pull of the other person's persons. The other person's persons. It goes on here in verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. And then the Lord said, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Your neighbor's wife. Well, you know what he's saying. Don't desire, right, the other person's wife, the other person's spouse. You can, you can put it either way, her or him. Don't lust after him. We talked about that back in verse 14, right? Commandment 7. You shall not commit adultery. How just having uh, lustful thoughts in your heart is committing adultery, Jesus said. And so, recognize this pull of the other person's person. If you want that other person's uh, a wife or husband, or even, you know what I was thinking about, when, when you want someone like that other person, her or him. See, affairs or even unreasonable expectations on the spouse, they're rooted in covetousness. It is a sin, you guys, before the Lord. The Apostle Paul lists covetousness actually in Ephesians 5 verse 3. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among 
saints. So we should not have anything, especially the pull of the other person's person in us as believers. All right. So recognize the pull of the other person's property, of the other person's person. And then number three, recognize the pull of the other person's prosperity. Prosperity. Notice it says here in verse 17, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant. Now you may be sitting there, well, this doesn't apply to me because, well, I don't have servants. Well, yeah, you don't, and we normally don't have that. But this is speaking of someone, a neighbor, another person who does have servants. And it speaks of his wealth, where they have Maybe someone serving them, living in a house there. So it speaks of wealth and a lot of commentators say it also speaks of someone's social status, like a wealthy social status. So recognize that pull when you're like, oh, I want that status. I want to live that kind of life. I want to have servants serving me. I want a big company and everyone underneath me doing what I tell them to do. I want to have that kind of status and wealth. Recognize that that is covetousness. That you're coveting this other person's wealth and status. The Puritan Thomas Adams said, Wealth is the devil's stirrup whereby he gets up and writes the covetous. I thought that was really good. The devil uses that pull for wealth and riches, yeah, to, to pull us into that sin of covetousness. All right, number four, the last thing we see is recognize the pull of the other person's possessions. And we probably know that, this one, most of all. Here in Exodus 20, verse 17, listed, you shall not covet your neighbor's his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So another thing that Satan does is make you think that you need these things. To make you think that you will be happier with these things. Your, your neighbor's ox or your neighbor's donkey. Well, my neighbor doesn't have a donkey. Or ox. But you know what? Today it would be probably like his truck. <laughs> his car, right? Yeah, his work truck. Oh, I like that. I like the wheels on that thing, you know, kind of thing. Oh, I like that sporty car. Oh, I, 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 want, a, I want an electric car one day. So I'm kind of coveting that. But I'm putting that aside. So, you know, the other person's stuff, their possessions, anything it's, it says here, that is your neighbor. So recognize that pull of the other person's possessions, you know, it is the way Satan works in our lives to think that we will be happier with those things, with that stuff. But I'll tell you what, it really only works the opposite, right? Benjamin Franklin said this, the more the man has, the more he wants. The things of this world, the possessions, they don't satisfy us. They don't fill us. So the Lord is saying, look, fight it, you guys. Curb it. Stop trying to find happiness or satisfaction in these things because it only turns out to more emptiness. Here's the, here's the thing, you guys. Listen, don't let someone's possessions become your obsessions. It's not of the Lord. 
It'll only leave you wanting more. It'll only leave you more empty. So as we're talking about all these things, persons, possessions, uh, prosperity, yeah, all, of, all of these things that, that we've been talking about, property, all of that, let me ask you today, today what is your weakness? What is your weakness? What is it? Is it in one of these areas? It is. God's covering it all. What is it? Is it something? Is it this, this pull to have a status, a wealthy status? Does it have all this property like the other guy has? What is it? What is that pull? Recognize where your weakness is and fight against that. What is that one thing like you, 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 you live for? Is it that car? Is it, oh, I want a new phone. I got to have a new phone. Is it clothes, clothing, possessions in that sense? I'll tell you, yesterday, uh, by the way, we had a great uh, water baptism and church picnic. And I don't know, we had eight or nine people get baptized, a lot of children too. And it was wonderful. It was a wonderful time. And we had a picnic afterwards. And I'll tell you what, I, was, I, I had barbecue envy when I was looking at David's barbecue he brought. I mean, it was stainless steel, custom made. I was like, I told him that, go, I get barbecue envy right now. Oh, looking at your, your barbecue and the coals and all that. I was like, oh, I like that. But that's a weakness, right? Because, well, we don't have a barbecue. I need a barbecue. So I was looking at that, right? We, wh- what is that weakness of yours? You know what? That's what you got to watch out for. That's what you got to recognize, don't be pulled into covetousness. Don't hunger after that. You know what? Because the devil knows how to tempt you, to pull you to sin before the Lord. He knows your weakness. So he'll, he'll have that car drive by. Yeah? He'll have that person, you know, walk by with those fancy clothes. Or, you know, you'll see something on the news. Or don't stop watching those. Um, well, they don't do it anymore but what was that show the the st- life of lifestyles of the rich and famous remember those shows i used to watch that wow just to see what kind of houses and stuff they live in right don't get pulled into that and tempted and deceived by the devil to to tempt you to sin and to covet in your heart you don't you don't even have to obtain those things it's just your covetousness coveting inside that will make you sin watch out for his schemes this salesman was making some big money through his many commission payouts. And someone asked him how he could make so many sales like in one month. He said this, I simply tell my customers this one thing. Let me show something many of your neighbors said you couldn't afford. He knew how to hook them. He knew how to bait them and hook them and catch them and make that sale. Well, that's, that's Satan. That's what he does to us. So curb the desire to acquire. First of all, realize the problem. Secondly, recognize the pool. And then number three, our last heading and the last thing we're going to see this morning is revitalize the priority. Revitalize the priority. Once again, it says here in Exodus twenty seventeen, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, uh, you should not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay, 
in the end now, covetousness is really, let me say this, is a form of idolatry, is a form of idolatry. You, you could connect this really to verse 3, the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You can even add, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. It's really an idol you make in your life. Because when you covet something more than you want God, you're setting up an idol in your life. Because you would rather seek that than to seek after God first. Colossians 3, 5 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and, Paul, this covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. He's saying the same thing. It really is a form of idolatry that we put that in front of God. So, revitalize, right, the priority of putting God first in your life. Maybe you've been sliding here. Maybe you've been sliding into this thing you want or, or, or this lifestyle you want or, or, or this status or whatever that is. Maybe you've been sliding that way and God's beginning to take a second seat there, not the first seat. Well, this is to remind you, revitalize what's important. Yeah? Make what's important, important. Make the priority of putting God first in your life. Not the thing. Not the stuff. Not even yourself. Trying to make yourself happy. No, revitalize the priority of putting God first in your life. You know what I think about? I think about Satan himself. Right? Isaiah 14. What did he do? He wanted his own glory. And he put himself above God. Right? He wa- that was what he coveted. Or I think about, you remember um, Elisha's servant, Gehazi, right? He coveted Naaman's gift, right? Naaman was healed of leprosy, and, and he's like, oh, here, Elisha, here, I want to give it to you. And he goes, no, no, I don't want anything, and he left. Well, Gehazi, right, in 2 Kings 5, he, he went out after him and lied to Naaman and said, oh, my master, he changed his mind, and he does want that stuff. And so he took it for himself. But the Lord told Elisha, and Elisha's like, hey, where have you been? Oh, uh, nowhere, you know. But expose that covetousness inside of him. Listen, is that you? Have you been drifting here? Wanting the thing more? Wanting some certain life more? Wanting this well? Wanting property? Wanting something? Wanting something for yourself? Thinking, that's what's going to make me happy? And you put that yeah, above God. God takes a second seat. Yeah, you believe in God. Yeah, you come to church. Yeah, you pray. Yeah, you're in your Bible and everything. But you know what? Really inside your heart, God sees that it's not Him that you're really after. Is that you? Wanting the thing more than wanting God? Wanting, wanting that, that life more than what His will is for you? We need to search our heart. If it is, revitalize the priority of putting God first in your life. Here's the second thing. Revitalize the priority of being content with Jesus. With just Jesus. 
That really goes along with revitalizing and putting God first, right? Well, revitalize in your heart that priority that you will be content with just Jesus. I want you to walk out of here today with that in your mind. You know what? My life is about just Jesus. Just Jesus. I want that phrase to be ringing in your head this week. Just Jesus. When you face temptation, when you face things, no, my life is about just Jesus. It's just Jesus. Ultimately, right, it's not the things of this world that will bring contentment anyway. It won't. Right? I've said we, we, we have a God-shaped hole in, I mean, yeah, a God-shaped hole in our heart. The only, we try and fill it with other things, but it's only Jesus that can fill it. It's Jesus. He is my contentment. Turn over to uh, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Into the New Testament, Luke chapter 12. And look at verse 15, Luke 12, 15. Now, as we come into this, um, someone was asking Jesus to intervene, to divide this inheritance between the two. And uh, I, he, Jesus like, look, I'm, I'm not the, the person that um, is over this. But he did say this. He, he went to address the heart and he said, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in abundance of his possessions. So our life isn't about our possessions. It's not about our wealth. It's not about our things. It's not about prosperity, anything of that. You see, Jesus is basically saying, look, your life, does not consist of how much stuff you get. But you know what it consists of? How much of Jesus you have. Later on in the passage, he gets into uh, trusting God for his provision and all that. And then he says um, uh, over in, um, at the end, toward the end, verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do we treasure Jesus? Is he our contentment? Is your contentment in Jesus alone? You know what I think about? Sometimes when I'm disappointed or dissatisfied, I ask myself that question. Well, Rick, where's your contentment? Is it in this thing? Is it in this, this situation? No. I remind myself, my contentment is just Jesus. Just Jesus. One more thing I want to talk about here is to revitalize the priority of being content with what God has given you. Being content with what God has given you. Just revitalize that. That will fight against covetousness. The devil likes to keep you in discontent. Did you know that? He loves to keep you in discontent. To want more. To discourage you, to keep you dissatisfied, to drive you, yeah, into discouragement even with all of that. You know, I was thinking about in Joshua chapter 7, you remember that guy named Achan? Yeah, 
he coveted the spoils from Jericho. Remember, he secretly took the spoils. God said, don't take any of the spoils. Yeah, destroy it all. He secretly took it. And then when Israel went to fight Ai, the next town, and to take it all, they lost. And Joshua's like, what's going on? He's seeking the Lord. The Lord said, there's sin in the camp. Someone took the spoil. And then it was found out it was Achan. He's the one. He confessed. He brought the things out. And and, and Achan was judged for that, right? And then when Israel battled Ai again, this time there was victory. The interesting thing to, to me about that is, is that if Achan just would have waited yeah, for the Lord, right? Because when Israel finally went to Ai and God gave them victory, the Lord allowed them to take the spoil. If you would have only waited for God's will, for God's way, for God's timing. If only Achan waited and stayed content with what he had at the moment, God would have blessed him with more. And really, that's what, it come, what, what covetousness does. It's a lack of trust in God's provision for you at this moment. So revitalize the priority of being content with what God has given you. How can we do that? How can we really show trust with God? How can we really, we really be content with just that? You know, let me give you a few things. First of all, enjoy what God has already given you. Just enjoy it. Be satisfied with what God has uh, provided, given you at this moment. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, 11, at the, the second part of the verse, he said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Whether I have a lot, whether I don't. Paul says, you know, I learned to be content. So enjoy what God has already given you. Secondly, keep the attitude of gratitude. Yeah? Be thankful for what you have, whether it's little or much. Just be grateful. Be thankful. I'm thankful it's not worse. (laughs) I deserve worse, but thank you, God, for what I have. Spiros uh, Zodiatis, he's a a Greek scholar and pastor or minister. He said this, thanking God for whatever he gives us is one sure way of resisting the devil. I like that. Thirdly, hold lightly the things of this world. Yeah, hold lightly, not tightly. Yeah, I mean, this is not our home here. We're destined for heaven. We want to lay our treasures up in heaven. Don't hold tightly for the things of this world. You know, in the tomb of Egyptian pharaoh uh, Tutankhamun, I can't say it, but King Tut, we know him as, right? It it was discovered in 1922. And it, it was an incredible find because they learned a lot about pharaohs and Egyptian kings and all that was inside that tomb. Well, it took archaeologists, did you know, 10 years to catalog the contents of the tomb. But you know what that means? When King Tut died, he left it all behind. He left it all behind. Hold lightly the things of this world. Fourthly, Admire without the desire to acquire. Admire to desire 
Admire without the desire to acquire. In other words, be happy for the other person when they're blessed by God. Be happy for them. Have joy for them. Rather than being jealous, covetous, you know what? Have care and concern for that other person. Wow. Oh, I'm so glad. God bless you. God gave you grace and mercy. And, 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 and he took care of you. Don't think of yourself. Think about the other person. Not about the thing, but the person. How important the person is. I like this. I, I heard when a wife was in, in an accident, they got in a car accident. She went to the glove box to get, you know, the registration, insurance information, everything. Well, as she pulled it out, clipped to the insurance card was this note from her husband. She didn't know it was there. Well, what the note said this. In case of accident, just remember this. It's you I love and not this car. Isn't that good? Listen, when you put God first in all your de- desires, you know what? You find peace. You find security. First Timothy 6.6 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Yeah. When we live a godly life, when we do not allow covetousness to burn inside us, you know, we're content. It's great gain. When we stop regaining other things in the world and we live for God, we gain Him. We gain Him. We find healing from discontentment. And we find rest in Him. And you know what? We find trust, that we can trust God's will. Because it's not about what's going to happen for me or what I get. But it's about Jesus, just Jesus in my life. So we can trust his sovereign will. I'll close with this. This businessman struggled to really give over his business to the Lord. But God worked in his life and he ultimately truly gave it up. And you know what? There he found true contentment. But that same day that he truly gave everything up to the Lord, found contentment, that evening news came that a fire had destroyed his whole business, burnt it to the ground. A friend who was with him asked him, your business is burnt down to the ground, and I can't believe it. You look peaceful and content. Aren't you concerned at all? Well, this businessman replied, that's not my problem. This morning, I gave the business to the Lord. And if he wants to burn it to the ground, that's his business. I love that. That's contentment, right? I'm content with whatever God has for me because I'm content in Jesus. That's what it's about, you guys. This is how to win against our sinful flesh. This is how to fight against the devil, the enemy of our souls. This is how to be content in just Jesus. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. And then you will be able to curb the desire to acquire. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. 
I thank you, Lord, for your commandments. And as we come to close our series here with this message, God, thank you for all that we've learned. And I pray that we would apply these things into our life. If we've missed any, may we go back and listen to our archive video or, or our podcasts. But God, especially today in what we learn, God, we want you to be everything. We want you, Jesus, to be our contentment. We don't need nothing else in this world. It's just you, God. Thank you. Thank you for that, Lord. God, thank you, though, you do bless us with our possessions and property and all that. Thank you, God. But we know that that's not everything. That's just a benefit from knowing you. But what really matters, no matter what happens in life, the ups and downs, no matter your sovereign will, God, we leave that to you. We trust in what you're doing. That's your business. But our heart is given to you, God. You are our priority, Jesus. And all we want to find in our contentment is you, just Jesus. God, I pray for anyone here who has been struggling with something. There's something they've been coveting. Something that, that has been getting in the way between you and them. Lord, may you continue to convict their hearts and, and, and call them to give it up to you, to surrender it to you. As our eyes are closed right now, I want to give you an opportunity. If there's something that you have been coveting, it's got, gotten between you and the Lord. You've lost your first love, as it says in Revelation 2. That you need to give that up to the Lord, and you need to make right with God right now. I want you to just put your hand up and show the Lord. Put your hand up right now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you too. Anyone else here? God bless you. God bless you back there. You can put your hand down. God sees your hand. God sees your heart that you want to give those things up to the Lord and that, that you're surrendering it and you're going to trust God in those things. Let me pray for you. Lord, the hands that went up, God, you know the heart and you know what that is that's been in the way between you and them. God, may you as receive what they're surrendering to you. And may you, may you take it, God. And may you forgive their heart, cleanse them, and revitalize inside of them what's really important. And that's you. And those things, Lord, that they're giving up to you, may you, in your will, work your will, God. Work your plan, Lord. And may it not have such a strong hold, Lord, on them no longer. Jesus, you died on the cross and you rose again, Lord, to free us from the bondage of, 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 of being covetous. And so, Lord, free us today, right now, and let us walk out of here rejoicing in you, that we have you, and that's all we need, just Jesus. Thank you, God. We love you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.